Welcome to the Experience Church Podcast. You're about to hear another inspirational message from Pastor Kyle Brownlee. It's our prayer that this message is not only an encouragement, but a blessing to your life. I've not got a chance to meet you yet. My name is Kyle Brownlee, and I have uh, the privilege of serving as the lead pastor at this amazing move of God that we call Experience Church. And so I want to welcome you. Also want to take a moment to look into the camera and welcome all those joining us online, along with all the men and women in our correctional ministry out of the Correction Center of Northwest Ohio, across our nation in over 400 prisons, and then also in the country of Belize, in the Belize Central Prison. We love you guys. And I've been praying for you this week that that God would encourage you right where you're at and that you would realize that you don't have to wait till your circumstances change for you to start being who God's called you to be and living the way God's called you to live. And we believe in you. Better yet, God believes in you. And so come on, D-Town. Let me welcome our church family today. Come on, let them know. <clears throat> awesome, awesome. We're, we're starting a brand new series today called Brick. By brick, and in this series, we're going to be studying the the story and the the book of Nehemiah together, where we see this incredible example of putting faith in action. And, and my hope is that as we just open up the truth of God's word together, that all of us would be stirred in our hearts, maybe to follow Jesus into places that we've never been, as we build God's kingdom. Brick by brick. Now, now, one of the reasons why we're calling it brick by brick is, is because how many of us know when God reveals his plan for our lives, when God kind of reveals his purpose for us, when, when God calls us maybe out of where we are into places that we've never been before, it can seem a little overwhelming. It, it can seem like it's beyond us, and we can, we can kind of re respond with uh, the infamous question, how, God? Anybody ever ask God how? Like, how is this going to work out? How am I going to be able to, to do that? And in fact, we see this throughout Scripture time and time again. There's some great examples of this. I was thinking when God called Moses to uh, deliver his people from Egypt and slavery and captivity, Moses' first response was, was how? Like he was overwhelmed that, that he would be used in such a magnificent way. He was, he was overwhelmed. And then years later, I was thinking about how the Israelites were wandering through the wilderness on their way to the promised land. This land that God had said, I'm going to give it to you. I promise it to you. It's going to be yours. And they get up to the edge of it, and they send out 12 spies to kind of do a reconnaissance mission and, and just check on the land. And when they see the people already living there, that they were bigger, faster, stronger, they thought to themselves, man, this is beyond us. We're never going to be able to, to do, God, what you're calling us to do. How is this going to work? And then I was even thinking, like, even when Jesus chose these, these 12 uneducated ordinary men to be his disciples and change the world how many of us know they constantly ask the question how how is this going to work and it reminded me of the old Chinese proverb or joke of how do you eat an elephant how do you eat this ginormous beast of an animal how do you eat an elephant and the answer is will you eat an elephant one bite at a time 
Well, how do you live out God's plan and purposes for your life, even though they might seem overwhelming or beyond us? And we're asking how, how do we live out his plan and purposes? By one step at a time. We just keep taking our next step of obedience. I know I've got a long way to go, but I'm not going to focus on 20 miles down the road. I'm just going to focus on my next step, one step after another. And how do we build the, the church that God is calling us to build one brick at a time, brick by brick? So before, though, we jump in to the message, I do want to give you just a couple uh, dates to put on your calendar that are coming up in the next few weeks, starting with in the, uh, in the month of November, the entire month, we are doing our annual At The Movies series. Come on, somebody. This is one of our favorite series that we do every single year, and it's where we take popular movie clips and we pull out biblical principles from them. And we present the truth of the gospel in a unique way that a lot of people have never experienced before. We have a lot of fun uh, doing it. We have uh, characters out in the lobby. Come on, someone, every Sunday we got characters out in the lobby. But, but in November, we're going to have some movie characters joining the other characters, walking around with popcorn pop. We just have a lot of fun in that series. But, but we, because of copyright laws, we, we can't put those uh, services online, and so we can't stream them. And so you have to be in the house. Come on, you got to be here. And so make sure that you're making plans to, to be here for the whole month of November. We're going to be at the movies. And then another date I just want you to put on your calendar is the first Sunday in December, we are doing our annual legacy offering. Now, a legacy is simply where we live our lives in such a way that they would outlive us. And our heart here at Experience Church is that we'd reach those far from God and together, all of us would live a God-first life. How many of us know when God's first in every area of our lives, right? And when he's first, every, everything else just seems to kind of fall into place. And so that's our goal. That's our heart. And so uh, every year on Legacy Sunday, the first Sunday in December, we come together and we, we give above and beyond to, to continue to carry out that vision that God has given to us. And I know it's a few weeks away, but the reason why I'm mentioning it now and will kind of keep mentioning it over the next few weeks is because the Bible tells us that, that those who are generous plan to be generous. Now, don't get me wrong, I, I think some giving should be spontaneous, but I think it should be a very small percent of our giving should be spontaneous. I think the rest of our giving should be intentional, strategic, planned out, prayed about, and then out of that we would strategically, intentionally be generous. So I want to encourage you now, be, be thinking about it. Be praying about it. Be praying about it as a family and, and be preparing for what God would have you do. And then what we say around here is just do that. Just do whatever you feel like God is calling you to do and we will be good, right? And I'm excited over the next few weeks to, to share what we all the things we did last year and through last year's legacy offering and then share some initiatives that we have planned and prepared for this year's legacy offering. But I want to remind us of uh, one of our theme scriptures for the church that God gave to us when we first started the church over a decade ago. Let's take a look at it real quick. Isaiah chapter 54. Verses two through four, God says, clear lots of ground for your tents. Make your tents large. Spread out, church. Think big. Use plenty of rope. Drive the tent pegs deep. 
You're going to need lots of elbow room for your growing family. You're going to take over whole nations. You're going to resettle abandoned cities. In other words, you're going to bring life back to places that were lifeless. But don't be afraid, church. You're not going to be embarrassed. Don't hold back. You're not going to come up short. And how many of us know God's called us to grow around here? That heaven and hell are real and people are going there and God has called us to, to shrink hell and grow heaven. He's called us to grow, to think big, to spread out, and to not just think about today, but that we would plan for tomorrow. That, that we would reach people far from God. That, that we would build something around here that would last long after we're gone. A, a church that would go beyond its walls. A church that our kids love coming to. That, that their kids would love coming to from, from generation to, to generation, a place where people encounter the presence of God and they're never the same. We're called to, to build church brick by brick. And I want to correlate Nehemiah's journey and Nehemiah's story with the church that God's called us to build, fulfilling the great commission, the final words of Jesus and how the two kind of correlate with Nehemiah's story and how he traveled back from Persia, which Persia would be modern-day Iraq. Nehemiah traveled back from Persia to Jerusalem to rebuild the, the wall surrounding the city of Jerusalem that had been destroyed when the Babylonians had taken over uh, Jerusalem and exiled God's people. And brick by brick, Nehemiah rebuilt the, rebuilt the wall in 52 days. And so let me just give you some kind of background information on Nehemiah's story. And so it's a little throwback to Sunday school right now. But if you're taking notes or you want to, uh, let me just give you some information that you might not know about Nehemiah's journey and story. The book of Nehemiah is actually a continuation of the book of, of Ezra. In fact, in the Hebrew Old Testament, Ezra and Nehemiah were originally one book. And we'll discover that Ezra actually traveled back 15 years before Nehemiah to Jerusalem to instill and build up spiritual leadership in Jerusalem. Now, the book of Nehemiah is compiled of Nehemiah's memoirs, and scholars believe that more than likely Ezra was the, the one who wrote the book of Nehemiah using uh, Nehemiah's journal and, and different writings, but obviously it's all inspired by the Holy Spirit. And then the timeline for the, the book of Nehemiah is that it was written around, right around 445 B.C., which means that from a timeline or chronological order, it would be the last book in the Old Testament written just a few hundred years before Jesus came to the earth. A lot of people don't understand that, the, that your Bible is not in chronological order. It's actually grouped together by type of books. And so the Old Testament goes, the, the first five books of the Old Testament of the Bible are known as the Torah, Pentateuch, or books of Moses, because Moses is the author. He wrote the first five books of, of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Then after Deuteronomy is the historical section, the history books, and that's where you get to Joshua and Judges and First and Second Samuel and First and Second Kings. And then you move into the, the poetry, the poetic type of books with the Song of Solomon, Ecclesiastes, Psalms, Proverbs, the book of Job, or maybe for you new followers of Jesus, the book of Job is there. And then it moves into 
the, the major prophets and then the minor prophets. Uh, not major because they're more important and minor because they're less important, but major because those books are bigger and the minor prophet books are smaller. So the next section would be major prophets, uh, books type like, like Isaiah, Jeremiah. And then you go into the minor prophets and these are smaller books, Jonah, Obadiah, Ezra, Nehemiah. And so that's where we find that, that story. And just to give you a little reference, though, even though um, Nehemiah chronologically would have been the last book written before Jesus would have come in the Old Testament, right around the same timeline would be the book of Malachi, which actually is the last book currently in our Old Testament. And Malachi would have been prophesying or writing to God's people. At the same time, Nehemiah would have been back in Jerusalem rebuilding the wall. Nehemiah's name literally means the Lord comforts. And so Nehemiah was, was a Jew who was, who was born and raised amongst the Jewish exiles in Persia, which was formerly known as Babylon. And so Babylon was, was conquered by the Persians. And, and we find Nehemiah in service to the king of Persia, the king of, uh, his name is Artaxerxes, that's a tongue twister. And he, he catches wind, Nehemiah catches wind of how bad things had gotten back in his home back in Jerusalem. But remember, not his home where he was born, not his home where he grew up. No, his home where his people and his ancestors were from. And so he asked permission from the king to travel back and, and rebuild the wall. Nehemiah was known as a man of prayer. In fact, in the book of Nehemiah, we find 12 prayers recorded. And it reminds us that before Nehemiah did anything for God, he first spent time with God. And before that, he, before he returned to, to Jerusalem, his service uh, was to the king of Persia as a cupbearer, which means he had the king's ear. Be, being a cupbearer was so much more than, than serving on or waiting on or trying all the food or the drinks, making sure the king wasn't getting uh, poisoned by anyone. The cupbearer was someone who was trusted who was allowed in the innermost parts of the palace. He was allowed into places most people weren't. In other words, he held a, a position of high honor in the court of the king. And, and a cupbearer was a trusted a confidant or advisor to the king. So it's a high position. And, and we're not sure how Nehemiah pulled this off. We don't know how he was able to, to get such a high position, but we see God's hand of favor and blessing, much like Joseph in the Old Testament, upon his life, even with his enemies. And there's something else I want us to, to, to know about as I give us this Sunday school lesson today is that there was actually three waves or three phases of going back into Jerusalem and rebuilding the, the city, not just the wall, but the whole entire city itself. God had given Ezra this vision, not just to go rebuild a wall, but to go rebuild the entire city, uh, front to bottom, if you, were, if you will. And the first phase that was sent back, you can read about it in Ezra chapter 1, was this group of, of Israelites went back. The first thing they did was they rebuilt the temple. Then a few years later, you can read how Ezra, 15 years before Nehemiah, went back and he started building up the spiritual leadership and raising up priests and pastors, if you will. 
Then we come to Nehemiah in this third phase, this third wave, and Nehemiah comes to rebuild the wall surrounding the, the, the city. And I, I think it's important for us to, to kind of catch wind of what's going on here, that he started with the temple and the spiritual thing first, then leadership, then protection. Now, if you're anything like me, I probably would have started on the opposite end first. I would have started with the wall of protection, then starting to build what was inside the walls. But God said, let's start with what's most important, which is our relationship with God. Because if that's not first, everything else we try to build on top of it will come crumbling down. Come on, somebody. Now I'm preaching. You can amen now, right? If we try to build our lives on anything else but the foundation, with a relationship with God, it won't last, right? There's a, there's a parable and story about that in the New Testament, right? Like they're building their house on the sand, right? And the wind came and the waves came and it came crumbling down. What is our foundation? And so he gives us this example. No, the first thing we're gonna build is the temple, the spiritual thing. Then we're gonna raise up pastors and leaders and then we're gonna build a wall of protection, but the point that I want us to, to recognize is that we all have a part to play in building the kingdom of God. We might not be able to build everything, but all of us can build something brick by brick. And I think it's important to point out too, the bricks were all there. The wall was in ruins. That there were sections of the wall missing. The gate had been burned and destroyed. And a lot of the resources were scattered around, but they were all there. And the mission was cleared in Nehemiah to rebuild the wall. So let's dive into scripture today. Let's take a look at Nehemiah chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. It says, In late autumn, in the month of Kislev, this would have been around the, the month of November, so in our calendar. So we're right in that time uh, frame that he would have traveled back in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes' reign. I was at the fortress of Susa, and Hanani, one of my bros, came to visit me with some other men who had just arrived from Judah. And I asked them about the Jews who had returned um, there from captivity and about how things were going back in Jerusalem. And they said to me, things are not going well for those who return to the providence of Judah. They are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem has been torn down and the gates have been destroyed by fire. And when Nehemiah heard this, he said, I sat down and wept. In fact, for days I mourned, I fasted and prayed to the God of heaven. How's everyone doing back home? Things going good? And when Nehemiah heard the news, he mourned, he wept, he fasted, and he prayed. I think if we're going to build what God's calling us to build, building his church brick by brick, then there's some, some things that we need. I want to give us three things today to, that we need in order to build what God's calling us to build. If you're taking notes, the first thing we need to do is, number one, recognize the need. You see, Nehemiah didn't know. He didn't know what was going on. He, he didn't know how bad things had, had gotten. He didn't know there was a need. Nehemiah was living his life. He was living in the palace and at his high-paid corporate position. Everything was good in his own little world. But when he decided to open up the blinds and look outside, he discovered that there were people hurting all around him. And the truth is, it doesn't take much for us to look around at everything happening in our world today and realize, man, there's a lot of needs to be met. 
If there was ever a time the church needs to rise up and be the church, how many know it's now? We're in that season. If we're going to build the kingdom of God brick by brick, then it starts with us acknowledging the needs and then meeting those needs. We tried to, to do this from the beginning of the church. I was reminded that three months after we launched Experience Church, 10 years ago, Hurricane Sandy devastated the West Coast. And so we, we didn't have a ton of resource back then, but we sent out as much as we could to, to partner with a church in New Jersey that was leading the re relief efforts. And we tried to sow and give them resources and just help in any way that we could. And I'll never forget that church reached back out to us once they found out we were only three months old. But we're like, man, somebody's got to do something. It might as well be us. Right? We just had this in our hearts, like we can't do much, but we can do something. We're only three months old, but we can help out in some way. And then just a few months later, I'll never forget the tornadoes devastated more Oklahoma, leveled a couple elementary schools, a few kids died, a lot of people lost their homes. Just, it was brutal. And we didn't just send resource down there, but we sent a whole team down there just to, to love and to serve and to, and to pray with people. That, that as we pull up the blinds and we look outside the walls, we recognize, man, there's a lot of needs all around us. In fact, I was, I was giving Pastor Justina a hard time last week, which I never do, by the way. And uh, I was giving her a hard time because last week before she preached, I think it was like a Wednesday or Thursday, she was studying and, and um, I think it was a Thursday, but uh, she was out running some errands and I was here at the, at the church working and, and um, she came back into the church parking lot. As she came in the parking lot, uh, she noticed that there was a, a, a guy sitting down in the middle of the road, just sitting down. He wasn't even in a parking stall. He was just in the middle of the road sitting down. And, and so she pulls up next to him and rolls down the window and is like, everything good? Like, you know you're in the middle of the road? And at that moment, she realized that he was under the influence, wasn't in his right mind. And so she, she called me to come out and, and, and help. And so me and another staff member went out there and, and just kind of loved on him and were talking to him. And, and I'll be honest with you, as, as someone who, who maybe has got delivered from that lifestyle, as someone who spent over a decade working with men in addictions and all that, I can kind of approach it. Can I be honest with you? I kind of, kind of approach it like he ain't hearing anything we're saying right now. Like we're kind of wasting our breath. Like it's in one ear and out the other. But Pastor Justine is like, no, we're going to pray. He's going to get saved. He's going to get delivered. Man, God's going to move in this place. And, and I was like, all right, you know. And how many of us know sometimes uh, uh, we just need to get back to that childlike faith? Sometimes we know too much. Wait a minute, I'm overthinking. How about God can move right now in this parking lot? God's bigger than our addictions. God's bigger than any chemical dependency. God can move right now. Let's get back to that. And so I let her pray. Come on, somebody. I'll just. <laughs> we prayed for him and we gave him some next steps and we tried to encourage him the best we could. And then, like an hour later, she goes out to Independence Dam because she wants to, to pray and study as she's getting ready for, the sun, for Sunday. And she pulls up and she looks over at the, the person in the parking spot next to her. And she's got the lady who's in the parking spot next to her has like all of her like clothes and supplies and all these things laid outside of her car. And so uh, Pastor Justina gets out and is like, hey, what, everything going, going all right? Like, are you moving into Independence Dam? Are you moving? What's going on? Like, you know. And, uh, and she, the, the lady had expressed that she was, had just gone through a divorce and she was living out of her car. And so Pastor Justina began just to encourage and, 
and pray for her. And, and so I was giving her a hard time, like, how do you f- just find these people? Like, this was in, like, 50 minutes. You, they're just attracted to you. But, but if I'm really honest with you, I, I started thinking to myself, like, like, what would I do in those situations? Come on, church. What would I do? If I pulled out here and I saw someone sitting in the middle of the road, I, I know I'd like to tell you I might have stopped, but I also know that I'm also capable of just going right around that person and going to Walmart. I got to go to Walmart. I got stuff to do. Got to get to Walmart. I hope he's okay. That's a weirdo. I don't know what's going on over there. Come on, anybody. Don't leave me hanging up here. I might have pulled into Independence Dam and getting ready to pray and study the message. Got to preach on Sunday and got this weight hanging over me. I got to make sure I know the message and I'm prayed up and I'm studied up and I'm ready to go for Sunday and looked over like, what is going on with her? Was she moving into the Independence Dam? I might have pulled that. Would I pull out and just kind of find another parking spot? I, would I study the word or would I, would I live it out? Right? Would I get out and be inconvenienced as I pulled down the blinds and I looked out and I see the knees. Would I allow myself to be inconvenienced? Pretty sure Jesus allowed himself to be inconvenienced for us as he hung on the cross. Would, would I allow myself to do the same thing or do I have my own agenda? Am I stuck in my ways? I'm going about my business or am I recognizing the, the needs around us? If we're gonna build what God's calling us to build church, if we're going to build his kingdom, if we're going to build his church, which, by the way, his church isn't a building, it's people. If we're going to build his church, then not only do we need to recognize the need, but also, number two, if you're taking notes, we need to realize it's our responsibility. It's not the government's job. It's our job, church. God gave us the power through the Holy Spirit to meet the needs of people, and we have to realize it's our responsibility. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail. Well, how is God building his church? Meeting one person's need at a time. I mean, you just mentioned government and the place gets quiet. And... <laughs> Take a look, Nehemiah chapter two, starting in verse one. Early the following spring in the, the month of Nisan, didn't even know. During the 20th year of King Artaxerxes' reign, I was serving the king his uh, non-alcoholic wine. And I had never before appeared sad in his presence. And so the king asked me, why are you looking so sad? You you don't look sick to me. You must be deeply troubled. I was terrified. But I replied, long live the king. How, how can I not be sad for the city where my ancestors are buried is in ruins and the gates have been destroyed by fire. We're going to study the gates next week. And then I'm going to tell you right now, I think one of the most powerful uh, messages of this entire series is going to be week three. You're not going to miss that. Verse four says the king asked, well, well, how can I help you? And with a prayer to the God of heaven, I replied, well, if it pleases the king, And if you're pleased with me, your servant, send me to Judah, Jerusalem, to rebuild the city where my ancestors are buried. I love the fact that that, that Nehemiah is burdened for somebody else. And he's sharing that with the king. I'm inconvenienced by this. I'd rather not. I love it here at the palace. I've got a good thing going here. But some people that I care about, my ancestors, and they're back there hurting. And somebody's got to do something. And it might as well be, be me. The responsibility was so heavy on Nehemiah, he couldn't hide it. Everyone noticed. Now, I'm not saying that we should walk around with a depressed look on our faces, but 
But I am challenging us that if we're a follower of Jesus, if, if God has saved us, if he's forgiven us, if he's, if he's healed us, if he's set us free, if, he, if he's done anything for us, then, then we should have a burden for others to experience what we have. And it would be evident to the world around us. People shouldn't have to ask, are you a Christian? They should know. Right? Well, I'm, something's different about you. What's different about you? You pray for people. You encourage people. You're burdened for that person that everybody else is annoyed by. What's up with you? Something's different about you. But I, I think if we're really honest, I, I think a lot of us, the reason we don't take responsibility is because we think it's their problem. They got themselves in the, their, that mess. It's their fault. And here's the reality. That might be true. Right? It might be their fault, but that doesn't, that doesn't mean it's not, still not our responsibility, right? I think, I think what I've discovered is that when, when we go through difficult situations ourselves, we start to realize maybe what's happening to them could actually happen to me too, right? I was thinking about before I became a parent, I used to be critical and judgmental of all those parents who couldn't keep their kids under control. <laughs> Anybody else? Like, man, they don't know what they're doing. And then I had kids. <laughs> and I started looking around at all those people who were judging me, being critical of me, right? You know, it's easy to be critical of what we don't understand until we experience some heartache and hardship ourselves. It's easy to point the finger at everybody else until we go through something and we're like, wait a minute. I got stuff too. I got issues too. A couple weeks ago, I went into a restaurant here in, here in town, one of the three that we have, and um, come on. Why don't you just bring another restaurant? And we'll go there, and we'll, we'll take people there and pray for our waiters there. But I was at one of the three restaurants, and I walked in, and I saw a guy, our, our waiter, actually, I hadn't seen him in five years, since 2017. He actually, the last time I saw him was in church when we had the church back over at the YMCA. God got saved and, and God was moving in his, in his life and then he just started to drift away. I hadn't seen him in five years and now he's our waiter. And so we're kind of getting to know each other and he goes, hey, my wife, I'm, you know, we've been kind of struggling and he goes, my wife just told me last night we should go back to church. And I told her, I don't, have I don't have time. I'm working two jobs. I don't have time to go to church. And she said, well, God makes time for you. Why don't you make time for him? Ooh. Uh, your wife preaching to you. And he goes, then now you, and then you walk into the restaurant, and I'm waiting on you tonight. I go, man, that is such a coincidence. <laughs> right? There's no way God's doing anything. Coincidence. And so we just started, you know, just touching base and what's going on. And, and he was, you could tell that his heart was heavy. Some, going through some stuff. He goes, hey, can I call you? And I said, absolutely. And so he called me and we talked a little bit. And he shared, man, that he, man, he's going through it. He's made some, some poor choices. Um, he's lost his kids. He's lost custody. Him and his wife are on the verge of divorce. I mean, just he's gone back to drinking. Just everything is happening in his life. He's depressed. He's hopeless. And, and so I just started speaking to what, 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 what dreams does he have in his heart? How many know, we're not talking about how bad we, where we are. Let's talk about where we could be, 
right? He, he already knows how bad where he's at is. Let's talk about where he could be if he would live a God-first life. And so I said, well, what's God put in your heart? And I started talking about practical things, man, being a father, just giving your kids what you didn't get as a kid and, and taking them to a ball game, just practical stuff. And as I'm just kind of sharing some, some different things, maybe some dreams he has in his heart, I can, t- I can hear him on the end. He's starting to get choked up. And he goes, that's, that's what I want. I want that. I want to be a dad. I want to have a family like you. I want him to be a father like you are. And I go, well, keep going. No. <laughs> Teasing. He goes, I, he just, you know, I look up to you, and I, I want what you have. And I go, well, let me just let me remind you, I didn't get here by myself. Don't make the mistake of thinking that I got here alone. I got here because there were some people who didn't just look at me and say, well, it's his fault. He's the one that put himself there. I, I, I ran into some Christians who took some responsibility and said, not on my watch. Somebody's got to do something. It might as well be me. And they came alongside me and they prayed for me and they loved me. And they, and they kept believing in me, even though my behavior gave them no choice whatsoever. And God did a huge work in my life. And all of a sudden, when we start taking responsibility, when we realize it could be us, when we find ourselves in difficult situations and we realize God's calling us to give what we have to the world around us. All of a sudden, instead of a them or they thing, it becomes a we and a us thing together. See, our job is to do what we can with what we have with the time that we've been giving. Brick by brick, we're going to build what God is calling us to build. And let me just say this to us, church. The time for talk is over. The time for debating is over. The time for idleness is over. The time for murmuring and complaining about what we like and what we don't like is over. The time for living in an offense and living with bitterness is over. There are real needs all around us and it's our responsibility and God is looking for people. He's not looking for perfect people. He's not looking for problem-free people. He's looking for people who are willing to pick up a couple bricks and start putting them where they're supposed to be on the wall. There's a lot to do. And how are we gonna get it all done? We build it brick by brick, one step at a time. And so we recognize, man, we recognize the need. We realize it's our responsibility. And number three today is we respond accordingly. Nehemiah chapter two, verses six through nine says this, the king with the queen sitting by, beside him asked, how long are you gonna be gone, Nehemiah? When will you return? And after I told him how long I would be gone, the king agreed to my request. I also said to the king, if it pleases the king, let me have letters addressed to the governors of the province west of the Euphrates River, instructing them to let me travel safely through their territories on my way to Judah or Jerusalem. And please give me a letter addressed to Asaph, the manager of the king's forest, instructing him to give me timber. I will need it to make beams for the gates of the temple fortress, for the city walls, and for a house for myself. And the king granted these requests because the gracious hand of God was on me. Notice Nehemiah recognizes where everything good that we have comes from. I know God's using the king. I know he's giving me favor, but I recognize it's not the king who is doing this for me. God, your hand of favor is upon me. And when I came to the governors of the province west of the Euphrates River, I delivered the king's letters to them. The king, I should add, had sent along army officers and horsemen to protect me. 
Nehemiah went with this clear mission to rebuild the wall surrounding Jerusalem. This wasn't a small task. This wasn't like putting up a fence in our backyard. I mean, this wall was 1.8 miles in length. It was 40 feet tall and almost nine feet thick. And a thousand men rebuilt the wall in 52 days. Man, this should stir our faith and remind us that all things are possible with God. That's why we say around here, why not defiance? Why not a church in the mall? What can't we do what others might say are impossible? Let it start with us, God. Do it here, God. They had, they had a clear mission. And here at Experience Church, we have a clear mission. We want to reach people right where they are and together live a God-first life. In fact, we also have a plan on how we can help people live a God-first life. I mean, we, we, can't, we, can't, we lead a horse to water, but we can't make him drink. But we can set ourselves up to live a God-first life, and we do that four ways. There's four things we try to do. One, make, make church a priority. Make church a priority, small groups. Life change happens in the context of relationships. That I'm not just in a small group, but I'm going to invest in the relationships in a small group. I'm going to allow people to get close enough to me where I can take off the mask and say, hey, here's what's really going on. Here's where I'm really at. Then thirdly, go through Connect Track where we spell the vision of the church and help connect you to your purpose. What are you passionate about? What are the spiritual gifts that you have? What's God put inside of you? What's your personality like? And then the fourth step, get on the dream team and start serving. Get around some other people who have similar gifts and passions that you do. And together we lock arms to make a difference in somebody else's life. Those four things. And here's what we say. Give us a year of your life and run the play. Run the play. Go all in. Church becomes a priority. Maybe we're not here every single week, but we're here 47 out of the 52. Like it's a priority for us to be in the house. We're going to be involved in small groups, not just go to a small group, invest in relationships. We're going to go through connect track. We're going to get on a team and we're going to serve people around us and make a difference. And we're going to run the play for a year. We said, give us a year of your life. And I promise you after a year, you might not be where you want to be, but I promise you, you're going to be nowhere close, nowhere near where you used to be. Your, your marriage will be better. Your family will be better. Your finances will be better. Peace in your heart will be better. Come on, you will be better. This is, and then after we encounter the goodness of God in our lives, this is why we give. This is why we serve. It's not about how much we do. It's about being faithful with what we have been given. Brick by brick, we, we build what God's calling us to build. I think, it, though, it's important for us to understand that, that the, the wall was in ruins, but most of the material was already there. But without the king of Persia trusting Nehemiah to go, without him sending the protection, without him providing the timber, without him providing leadership, without him pro providing permission and paperwork, the wall was not getting built. And it, it made me think this. What could happen if we trusted God like the king trusted Nehemiah? What if we would trust God like that? Because giving generosity is all about trust. Make no mistake about it, giving is all about trust. By the way, the Bible talks about giving more than any other topic. Why? Because God knows if we'll trust him with our resources, we'll trust him with everything else. And now when I, when I talk about generosity, I do wanna be clear and pastor us just a little bit because this is what we would give out, give out of our own money. In other words, I'm not talking, when I say generosity, I'm not talking about the tithe. 
generosity is above the tithe. The tithe is clearly God's. God said, return to me the tithe. The tithe means 10%. So this would be the first 10%, the first fruits of everything that I've, I've brought in. I would return it to God. And so we can't be generous with God's money. That's just called obedience. Tithing to the local church is just obedience. Generosity starts after that. Are you with me, church? Now, giving in general, whether it's tithing or being generous and giving above the tithe, it's all about trust. And if you, if you don't give, then let me give you a, a first next step. If you can't trust, then there's another option. In Malachi chapter 3, verse 10, which would have been right around the same time frame that Nehemiah would have been back in Jerusalem rebuilding the wall, Malachi writes to the people, not in your notes, he writes to God's people and says, because you have not brought the whole tithe into the storehouse, you will be under a curse. But if you return to God what is his, you will be blessed. Then the next verse, Malachi chapter 3, verse 11 says, test me in this. God says, test me. And so if we're having a hard time trusting God in this area, then he says, test me. And what we'll discover is that his promises are always true, that God is faithful, and we can trust him not just with our sin. We can trust him not just with our problems, not just with our struggles. I know it's not hard to trust him with those things, right? Those are the easy things. Here's my sin. Here's my problems. Here's all my struggles. I trust you, God. But what we'll discover is that he's faithful and that we can trust him with our resources and we can trust him with our hearts. I can trust you with everything that I am, God, because you're faithful. And God can do so much more. We can do so much more with God than we can apart from him. And so we might start with testing, but then we'll move into trusting relationship with God as we just step out in faith and we start to build what God wants to build in us and through us brick by brick. But I think it's important to point out that before we build with God, we're going to need God to build something in us. And before Nehemiah left Persia to return to Jerusalem to rebuild the wall, he prays. I'm going to close with this passage of scripture today. Nehemiah chapter 1 verses 5 and 6 and verse 11. Nehemiah said, then I said, O Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God who, who keeps his covenant of unfailing love with those who love him and obey his commands. I love how Nehemiah just starts off reminding himself who God is and how big he is. You're above it all, God. And as I honor you, as I obey you, my life is blessed. Listen to my prayer, he said. Look down and see me praying night and day for your people, Israel. And I confess that we have sinned against you. Yes, even my own family and I have sinned. But verse 11 says, oh Lord, please hear my prayer. Listen to the prayers of those of us who delight in honoring you. I love the fact that we don't have to be perfect to be used by God. Nehemiah said, now I've sinned, my family has sinned. We're not worthy. But how many of us know that God has never used someone because they are worthy? He uses people for his glory because we are willing. Willing to surrender, willing to yield, willing to say, not my will, but your will be done. 
that before Nehemiah gathered all the resources, before he built the team, before he stood on the wall, before he faced the adversity, before he did anything, he got on his face before God in prayer. If we're going to go on this journey of building the church God's calls to build, of leaving a legacy, living our lives in such a way that they would outlive us. If we're gonna build the church that God is calling us to build and reach people far from God and help them live a God-first life, to build God's kingdom brick by brick, it can't start with anything else than with prayer. Saying, God, you're first. You're first in my heart, you're first in my family, you're first in my finances, you're first in my life. God, build something in me before you build something through me. I know that's where it all starts. It starts in our hearts that we would build off of that foundation. And so wherever we're at today, wherever, whatever season we're in, that we would recognize the need. We'd, We'd realize it's our responsibility, church, and then we would respond accordingly. What's our next step? What's our next step? Maybe it's to go through Connect Track. Maybe it's to get into a small group. Maybe it's to start just returning the tithes and being obedient with what God's placed in our hand. Maybe it's to move into the category of being generous and giving above and beyond. Whatever it is, I'm challenging us today. Just take our next step. How do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time. How do we live out God's plan for our life? One step at a time. How do we build the church God's calling us to build? One brick at a time, brick by brick. Would you pray with me? Father, we love you in this place. Thank you, God, for your word and your truth. Thank you for this, this example of faith in action as Nehemiah says, somebody's gotta do something. It might as well be me. God, we wanna have that same heart, God. Sometimes we can be overwhelmed or feel like your plan and purpose is beyond us. We can ask the question, how? But God, we just, we're just going to take our next step, one step at a time, living out your plan and your purposes for our lives. We recognize the needs, God. We realize it's our responsibility. And we're going to respond accordingly. And as we're praying together with every head bowed, every eye closed, if, if you're here, you would say, man, Your next step is just putting God first. Maybe you've come to church, you believe in God, but you know he's not first in my life. He's not first in my priorities. He's not first in my family. He's not first in my, he's not first. And your next step is saying, God, here's my heart, what you've always wanted. Here's my life. Wherever you're at, if you're watching online, if you're in a jail cell, if you're joining us here in person, if you need to make that decision to make Jesus the Lord and Savior of your life and say, God, you're first, why don't you lift your hand to heaven right now? Here I am, God, as a sign of surrender and a response to his love. Here's my heart, God. I want to know you. I want to have a relationship with you. And right where you're at, would you just pray, pray this prayer with me? Say, God, thank you. Thank you, thank you for loving me right where I'm at, loving me enough not to let me stay there. Thank you for sending your son, Jesus, to pay the price for my sin on the cross, to redeem me, to restore me, and to give me a life I never thought possible. Today, here's my heart. God, you're first. God, forgive me. Redeem me, restore me. Fill me with your spirit. Show me how to live. My life is yours. In Jesus' name. And everybody said...
Amen. Come on, let's, let's give God some praise for those who just crossed over from death.
Thanks for joining us. We here at Experience Church love you and are praying for you. Until next time, remember that Jesus is our hope.